to another week of the Rev MD podcast. This week, I'm excited to answer some questions that folks have had around the lab space. And I know that this is a confusing space. There's a lot of regulatory requirements. It's a lot of business decisions when it comes down to deciding if a practice really should have lab work in the office or should they continue to send it out? And it depends on volume. And so we're going to talk about a few things that are important for folks to understand when it comes to making decisions around bringing labs into the office. So number one, let's talk regulations. Nobody likes to talk about the regulatory story. You guys know I'm a pathologist. The regulations are near and dear to my heart and are super duper important. Um, So as you guys know, there is this thing, it's called CLIA, right? Clinical Laboratory Improvement Act, um, based out of the 1980s, um, where there happened to have erroneous results in in laboratories um, that resulted in regulations that came out to say, hey, we've got a laboratory, what does that mean? And what are the regulations that we're going to put forth to establish those quality standards and make sure that there's some oversight of clinical labs so that things aren't happening and results aren't getting put out that aren't accurate. So, you know, we all know that, you know, it's important. We've got to have the right level of quality standards. So who needs a CLIA certificate? I get asked this all the time. And if you're thinking to myself, well, I have a lab and I've never heard of a CLIA certificate. Shoot, do I need one? I'm just going to emphasize that really anyone who runs a laboratory test in a healthcare setting is going to need a CLIA certificate. Now, the level of CLIA certificate is going to differ depending on the type of testing that you're doing, right? And so if you're doing a waived test, right? So there's there's categories that the FDA provides for each level of test complexity, waived, moderate, high complexity. So if you're doing the most basic test, which is a waived test, you just need a CLIA certificate of waiver. Now, there are other levels of certificates, such as provider-performed microscopy, certificate of registration, certificate of compliance, and certificate of accreditation. And so really what I'm going to focus on today is around WAVE tests, certificate of waiver, and just the process around how do you think about whether or not you should bring laboratory testing into your office. And some of this is the finances and some of it's clinical. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. So again, are you doing lab tests? Yes or no. If you are, you've got to have at least a certificate of waiver. Depending if you're doing more moderate or highly complex tests, you're going to need a higher level of certificate and really focus on, you know, the laboratory staff that are running the tests, medical directorship, you know, proficiency testing, all of that fun stuff as you get into that moderate and high complexity testing. We're not going to talk about that today. Um, It's for a much larger discussion, though I think it's important for folks to understand that if you are doing moderate and high complexity testing, and and most office laboratories are not going to be doing highly complex tests, that's, you know, things that you'd see in a hospital laboratory. Although it's, you know, I have seen it in offices before, it's just not common. Most common is really that waived testing that you see in an office laboratory setting. Um, Something like, you know, your rapid streps or, you know, in a hemoglobin A1C that's on a point of care device, those things can be waived and um, are much simpler to bring into the office, both from a business perspective, as well as, you know, understanding the regulatory aspects. So again, FDA sets these 
uh, levels of complexity, your vendor, as you're kind of exploring different test options, will be able to tell you, hey, it's waived, it's moderate, it's highly complex. And if you are kind of thinking about more in the moderate to highly complex, I would highly recommend a, a lab consultant for that. Um, I certainly have some recommendations for folks if you guys are thinking about that, because there are some regulatory requirements around staffing and and proficiency testing, like I said. And um, for those of you who don't know what proficiency testing is, that's really this external quality assessment that allows you to periodically um, evaluate your tests um, based on uh, a group of an, of laboratories that actually basically tell you you know, what the level of test should be. So they send you, you know, a group of samples, you run them, you make sure that, you know, your results are in line with what they should do compared um, to your peers. And, um, you know, how those are run and organized really just depends on the program that you sign up with. CAP has them, API has them. You can also do alternative assessments um, for some analytes. And so it just really depends on the tests you're running. But proficiency testing is really important. If you are getting and doing testing that is in that moderately or high complex world. Another thing I'll mention is there is another thing called quality control, right? So this is really, you know, procedures used to detect and correct errors. It's really our way of being able to say, is the instrument or is the test performing like it should today? And this is another area where depending on the level of testing, you're really going to want to make sure that you are you know, doing quality control. And this is all going to be dependent on what the manufacturer instructions say. So again, if you're doing waived testing, make sure you're following the manufacturer's testing parameters exactly. Meaning if they tell you to run it in XYZ order and with these certain samples and in this procedure, you can't deviate from that. If you start deviating from that, it no longer becomes waived. So this is an important thing. Um, you know, f- you know, there's uh, testing out there that, you know, are for certain patient conditions. So for example, the PT INR testing that's on uh, one of the point of care devices. Um, some of those, po- some of those devices, it's, it's limited to only patients who are say in a Coumadin clinic. So you could be doing that testing on patients outside of that indication. Therefore, it no longer is waived. It no longer is um, a test that is following the manufacturer's instructions. And so then it becomes a highly complex test. And so the staffing requirements then change because of that. So really important for you to understand that you need a CLIA certificate, that if you're doing stuff outside of waived testing, that you're really making sure that you're getting the right CLIA certificate. And that regardless, you have a CLIA certificate, right? Even if you are just doing waived testing and that you understand the nuances around what level of staffing can do certain things. Again, this is more important for those doing moderate and highly complex testing. Um, Need to understand if you're doing that type of testing, what proficiency testing is and quality control is. And again, I always highly, highly recommend getting a consultant or somebody who really knows lab if you are kind of venturing into those um, to those areas. And the last thing I will chat about today, and something that's near and dear to my heart because I'm all about a good business performa, is when you're thinking about decisions, and this is really any decision in your business, right? And we do this for our own business, right? You, you have to kind of go through the math. 
The math has to make sense. And so if you're thinking, gosh, I, I want to bring in lab tests, um, do, you know, what does that look like? Should I do it? Does it make sense financially? I often see practices will say, yeah, you know, it makes sense clinically, so I'm just going to do it. And while that may trump any business financial decision, I truly believe that every decision you make in any business and, you know, maybe even sometimes in your personal life and personal finances deserves some sort of business case, right? So in the lab world, if you're thinking about this and thinking, gosh, I need to figure out the steps of whether or not I should bring this in. The first is going to be, what is your annual volume? Okay, so if you're thinking about bringing in hemoglobin A1Cs which may make sense, especially for a busy practice, especially from a workflow perspective, um, you, you've got to look at the volume, right? What's the volume of testing? And then kind of work through what is the list of vendors that I would use in order to bring in hemoglobin A1C. So you can meet with the vendors and say, okay, you know, this is what it's going to cost you know, for the devices, for any service, for any connectivity, if you're going to connect them to your EMR, if you're not going to connect them, what's that manual workflow look like, and the cost per cartridge, right? So then you're kind of getting together this business um, business decision, right? You've got your volume, you've got your overall cost, you've got your cost per test. That way you can start to think, okay, what is it going to cost for me to bring this in? And then you can start looking at the reimbursement of this. Okay, so what what am I going to get reimbursed for that? And what does my payer mix look like to understand if I'm going to get paid for some of these vendors? And it does get really important for you to assess that information both ahead of time as well as frequently as you um, bring in a test and really manage and make sure that you are actually getting paid for the test that you think you are. The next thing, so once you've kind of come up with the, okay, what's my volume? You know, if you're currently sending this out to a reference lab, you're not paying for that, right? It's going out to the lab cores and quests. They're doing third-party billing. You're not seeing any bills for that. And so if you bring it in-house, you're then taking on the cost for that test and that equipment, the time for your staff to do it. That's also going to be another big part of this is what is the time involved for your staff to run these tests? And it may be minimal, but it adds up over time, especially in a busy practice. And so you want to factor that in into your overall cost analysis so that you understand, you know, your staff are valuable. They're, they, you know, time away from doing another activity or depending on the size of practice, does that mean you need another half FT, F, half FTE during the day? So that's going to be another piece that you're kind of building this performa. The next is really the clinical piece, right? What are you going to do with this information? live? How is it going to impact your workflow in the clinic? How is it going to impact the treatment of the patients? If it's making a positive impact, then if you're breaking even, that may be enough for you. If the clinical impact is so-so where, yeah, it'd be nice to have, but is it truly going to change how you manage the patient, then it may not you know, mean as much. And I'll give you an example. So um, there's this large respiratory viral panels, um, you know, larger than say what you're doing with just like a quick flu or COVID or RSV or strep. That That's, you know, kind of your targeted panels. But there are companies that sell these larger 10, 12, 15, 20 um, panels that, you know, it seems really enticing to bring it into the office. But in reality, I want you to think through, what am I doing with that information? Am I using that information to change management? Am I going to do something different if rhinovirus is there? Maybe, maybe not, usually not. And so, you know, I really 
caution folks to think about, you know, the clinical piece of that and also really understand the reimbursement of some of those tests. I know that there's a lot who like to give the rosy picture of, oh, well, you can get this reimbursement and it's going to make your practice all this money. Please gut check this. Please work with your billing team and really understand if you're going to get paid for that, what ICD-10s you're going to get paid for it under, what payers pay for it. You know, will they reimburse for the full 20 panel of uh, a large respiratory panel? Or are they not going to reimburse, you know, uh, up to the level that covers the cost? And so, again, you know, I just really caution um, that, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, gut check it. It may be too good to be true. It may not. And it may be, you know, something that's valuable, especially for a bigger practice. But again, just highly recommend sitting down, thinking about, you know, whether or not clinically this is going to be something that improves the lives and care of our patients. Because at the basis of all we're what we're trying to do, right, as physicians, is to improve the care of our patients. And so as you're kind of building this business case, right? So we've got volume, we've got now cost of the of the instruments, of any service that's included, any um, interfaces or connectivity that we need in order to, you know, if it is an instrument, connect it to our EMR. If we're not connecting it to our EMR, what does that manual process look like? You know, how are we getting results into our EMR? What's the volume of that and the extra workload if it's not interfaced? And then, of course, the cost per test, the cost per cartridge um, or, you know, consumables that you're doing every time you run these tests. And the last thing I'll say is stability. So the stability of a cartridge or the stability of the test materials that you're buying. So say you're buying you know, the vendor only sells a pack of 100, but the stability is, you know, and I'm kind of making this up, but the stability is six months. Then if you're not going to go through that pack of 100 in six months, then what is your waste going to be? Are you going to throw out 50% of those? And that's not very common in a waived setting or in a, you know, office setting where you're doing hemoglobin A1Cs. But it is something to think about, especially if you are doing other types of testing. So always think about, you know, stability, you know, the cost of the regulations, cost of the certificate of waiver, which shouldn't be that expensive. But again, if you're thinking about kind of more of that moderately or highly complex testing, those discussions around stability and staffing and medical directorship, all of that kind of comes into play. Um, so once you've kind of gotten your volume, you've gotten your financial piece together, you've got your clinical piece together, you've really mapped out what the workflow would look like from start to finish, then you can kind of start making some decisions. And of course, with that financial information is your reimbursement information, the you know ability for you to get paid based on your payers, et cetera. And so all of this is an option for you to sit down and build when you're thinking about bringing this on. And this same discussion should be, you know, discussion you have if you're bringing on a new staff member or, you know, opening up a new office location. I mean, it's all about the business pro forma, right? There's a there's a financial piece, there's a clinical piece. And, you know, I know I we talked several months ago about this idea of really understanding what your expenses are, what your revenue is. And this is all part of that, right? If you can start to model out, okay, my my revenue every month is X, Y, and Z. And that's based on, 
you know, this patient volume. And if I increase my patient volume, you know, how is that going to help with my practice? And looking at that by provider, by physician also allows you to really make really good business decisions. And so lab is no different, right? If you're thinking about bringing in a lab test, this is kind of that same pro forma that you really need to understand and go through. So again, I'm all about spreadsheets. You guys know this about me. I love a good spreadsheet. I know not everybody does. Um, There are certainly Excel templates out there um, for um, businesses that need to kind of come up with a pro forma. Certainly, you know, tailor it to the lab space. Make sure that you've kind of got all the pieces and puzzles in order for you to make a good business decision. It's nothing worse than making a decision and then six months later realizing it's not making any money. Now, I will leave this last tip. Once you bring in the test, if you decide to do that, do please follow up on whether or not you're getting paid for it, you know, looking at that reimbursement, just so you understand that if your assumption was that, hey, I'm going to make money or I'm going to break even, that that is actually happening. Um, You know, you also want to make sure that the billing codes, the CPT codes that you're billing out and the ICD-10 codes, you know, allow for reimbursement. Meaning if you're, you know, ordering a test, but it's not covered under certain ICD-10 codes, then either we're not ordering it on the right patient or we're not providing the right documentation and right ICD-10 codes in order to get reimbursed. So hopefully this helps kind of just clear up some questions that I know others have been asking. So feel free, if you have questions, uh, send it over at info at nationalrevenueconsulting.com. I know we're getting towards the end of the year. Everybody's kind of trying to figure out how we're going to tackle Um, you know, reimbursement rate cuts next year. And so really thinking about, you know, the data that you have in your practice, you know, the decisions you're making is this is a good time to really start thinking about that. Do you have the right billing partner? Do you need a new billing partner? Um, You know, those are all really important things as you kind of go into the new year. And so if you can spread the word on our podcast, RevMD, go there to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It helps us uh, become more popular in the podcast world and allows uh, us to reach more folks. So thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and we will talk to you next week.